Could you open up to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 27 to 30? As you open, I'd like to ask you a question. The question is this. Do you think God speaks to us in dreams? you think he does? I think sometimes he does. He's, he uh, gave me a very vivid dream about four days ago. And it was, uh, I would call it the time of second dream. You know when you go to bed and you wake up about 4.30 in the morning, and then you go back to bed, and when you go back to bed, then you get dreams that are unbelievable. It was that kind of a dream. And here was the dream. Two people that regularly attend this church that have for a long time called me up an hour apart. And they both said the same thing in this dream. And they said this. They said, Pastor Chris, we're going to leave the church because we found a much nicer church. And I said, you're going to leave because you found a nicer church? What do you mean? They said, well, it's not only more beautiful on the inside, but they are so nice there. I have a friend whose daughter is, has her boyfriend sleep over often, and I can take her to that church. But I can't take her to your church because you don't let sinners sin. I'm like, what do you mean by that? She goes, you're just mean. And then I woke up. <laughs> and I was hot sweat. I'm mean. I'm not mean. And I was going to call those two people up. You know who you were, are. You're in my dream. And I was going to say, I'm not mean. I'm not mean. But I would think about it the whole time. And partially it's because of the verse we're going to talk about today. I, I would say it's top ten, one of the toughest verses in Scripture to digest. But I was thinking through that idea of, what is the purpose of church? You could say it even like this. What is the purpose of religion? And by religion, it's not the bad form of religion. It's church plus devotion plus worship plus studying scripture and changing your life. What is the purpose of it? Why do we have to be religious? Or why should we be practicing Christianity? And I think there's two ways people answer this. Even though they don't tell you this, there's two beliefs about the purpose of religion. I think the popular belief in America, specifically in Christianity, is this belief. Joel Osteen had a book that said, To Live My Best Life Now. And I really think people in the church believe the purpose of the church, the purpose of the Bible, the purpose of community, is so I can have a happy life. It's called the tyranny of therapeutic. I just want to feel good. I just want to achieve my best version of myself. You know, it's, it's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. On the very top, it's called self-actualization. And I really think a large majority of the church believes they come to church so you can just tell me how, 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 how to have a great life. But there's another viewpoint. What is the purpose of religion? And my conviction, as I've studied Scripture for a lot of years, is this. I believe we come to church, I believe we study the Bible, I believe we join community, I believe that we try to be devoted for the purpose of becoming acceptable before a holy God. We are going to someday meet God face to face in heaven. And I think the purpose of this is so we can be ready. That is the reason we come and it is the most important reason. We need to be ready to meet God. In the book of Job, the oldest book in the Bible, and if you go to Job chapter 9, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you. The book of Job, he asks this question in Job chapter 9, verse 1. 
How can a mortal, how can a human being be righteous before God? And then he goes on at the end of chapter 9 to say, God is not a man like me that I, I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. This is Job 9.32, verse 33 says, If only there were someone to arbitrate between us, to lay his hand upon us both, someone to remove God's rod from me, or God's anger, God's wrath from me, so that his terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him, but as it now stands with me, I cannot. So Job is basically saying, how can a man be acceptable before God? Because as it stands, if I don't have anybody that pleads my case or can stand between me and God, I am dirty, broken, and I'm going to be considered unworthy. And so the point that we come here is we come to learn, so when I see God face to face, he will say, welcome into my presence. So that's I believe one of the main purposes of the book of Matthew. So we have you turn to the book of Matthew. We're studying it because one of the main goals in the book of Matthew is Matthew is teaching us how to be righteous people, how to be people that are acceptable to God. In fact, the Beatitudes start off with the character of a kingdom person or a righteous person. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And we studied that whole thing. Then we get to the second part of chapter 5, and then he's going to use the law and how the law is applied to make us more righteous. And if you remember last week, we said we're going to study the second part. We're going to call it the spiritual dentistry series because like a dentist, Jesus in the second part of chapter 5 drills down deep. He's not here just to clean your teeth. He's here to take out your cavities and get down to the roots. He's going to invade. And if you remember the way that we talked about it is there's a system. He says, you've heard it said by the scribes and the Pharisees. And then, basically, this is the oral tradition you've learned, and usually it's just the letter of the law. Then he says, but I say to you. So Jesus is going to go deeper than just the letter. He's going to tell you the intent of the law, or the spirit of the law. Last week we talked about the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. And he says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit murder. He goes, but I say to you, if you look at a person with anger in your heart, it's as if you committed murder. That's a tough one. That was only a cavity. Today we're going to do a root canal. I have, this is a hard message. Because this is a message, especially men, all of us struggle with. And here it is. The issue of adultery. And we're going to start in verse 27. And Jesus is going to meddle, so get ready. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Wow, what? I think we read this like, yeah, I've read that a lot. No, 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 you, let it sink in. Does he mean this? We're going to talk about this. Then he says, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. 
It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now last week, if you remember, we had an illustration. We used this wave, and the top part was the surface of the wave, and then we went down deeper and we said the wave is what the Pharisees would study. They would just study the letter or the surface of the law. But Jesus wants to go down deep. I want to give you another illustration for this one because I think it's a little bit more apropos, especially since it's springtime. It's about dandelions. How many of you have dandelions in your front yard? Gene, do you have dandelions? Do you like dandelions? See, Gene is like my dad. He does not like dandelions. And my dad, my dad would say, i got to clear those dandelions out. I'd say, Dad, I'll go pick them. No, I'll do it. you got to do it the right way. So he'd have this belt with all these weird tools where he'd go down and get the roots and pop them. He goes, you don't pop those things. They just keep spreading. And so the idea is that to get rid of the dandelion, you don't just pick the dandelion, because if I just pick the dandelion, the roots still remain. And if the roots still remain, it will grow and get bigger. So what's on the surface may seem like, oh, I picked a dandelion, but the roots is what keeps it alive. So the dandelion represents sin, the sin. It's very apparent. I see it. It's kind of like the, it's, it's like the Pharisees just want to deal with the surface, but really there's something deeper inside that's causing the sin, which is capital S sin, the sin nature. I sin because I'm a sinner. So I got to get rid of the capital S sin, the sinful nature we call the flesh or the old man, if I want to stop the sin. The sin in this case is the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery is very clear. A man should not sleep with another man's wife, David and Bathsheba. David saw this beautiful lady brought her into his house. She was married to somebody else. He didn't care because he wanted her. And he had her. And Nathan, the prophet, said, you sin. But what is the real sin? If you look in verse, that is the sin. But it comes out of verse 28. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. So lust is the desire to have. In fact, it's actually the 10th commandment. Adultery, thou shalt not commit adultery, is the 7th. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife is the 10th. Want on the inside. And it's this want on the inside that causes me to act on the outside. It's kind of like when Adam saw the fruit God said, you can't have it. And in the back of Adam's mind, but I want it. That's covetousness. Even Paul says in Romans 7, I didn't really know covetousness till I read the law and I realized it's in me. It's in me. People will try to, what I would say, just pick dandelions. And this is called moralism. where you just, I just try to stop behavior. But really what Christianity is really about is mortification. Go to Romans 8, verse 13. Mortification isn't about just managing sin. It's about killing the root. Listen to what Romans 8.13 says. It 
says, for if you live according to the sinful nature, it's the nature, it's that broken side of you. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, put it to death, kill it. That's what mortification means, to murder it, murder the sinful nature, you will live. You will live. So we're going to talk about why is lust so bad? Why do we need to kill it? Why is it a problem? Here's the reason. Two big reasons why lust is a problem. Number one, it twists definition. It twists God's love for another. We're supposed to sacrifice for the good of the other. Lust says, no, you know what love is? It's getting from you. Instead of protecting, providing, caring for the other, the other becomes somebody that gives me pleasure, twists it. There's a story I read. It's a, it's a modern-day Pilgrim's Progress. If you've ever heard of the book of Pilgrim's Progress, it was written a long time ago about a man named Christian that would go, it was like an allegory of going from city to city, and the city to city was his Christian walk, what it was like walking to the celestial city. Well, this new book, I forget the name of it, it's, talking, it's a modern-day Pilgrim's Progress, and in this book, they had the city of lust. And this guy who's Christian comes to the city of lust. And when he went to the city of lust, there was a saloon, a bar, with flashing neon lights. And he was thirsty, so he went in. When he went into the bar, there was 20 tables that each had one seat. And there was a stage with curtains that were closed. He goes over, and the bartender gives him a mug of beer and says, you sit, the show will start in five minutes. So he grabs his mug of beer and sits at the table. Music is pretty rocky. You can hear the pounding bass. And for the next five minutes, guys would come in and grab a beer, and all the tables got filled by 20 guys sitting alone with their own beer waiting for the stage. The curtains start opening, and the music gets more intense, and red lights are flashing. The guys are anticipating, and out behind the stage comes a scantily clad young woman and all the men start whistling but this guy looks and it's his daughter and he's angry but then a couple minutes later another lady comes out and he's torn do I do I run up and grab my daughter and take her out of this place or do I watch the show of the other person and he realized this is another guy's daughter and the whole show is 20 girls up there scantily clad with 20 men outside and they are torn. Do I protect my daughter or do I... That's the problem with lust. It twists love into something that it's not. And the second thing it does, it turns a person into a possession. I want it. I want that flesh. The same way Adam wanted the apple. Lust wants you to want somebody that you have no right to, no right to, because there's only one correct structure for pleasure sexually to happen, and that's within the covenant marriage. Anything outside of that, according to Hebrews, is called impurity, and it's off limits. It's not my right. But because our culture isn't about becoming prepared to be holy, our culture is about pleasure. It's about making me happy. 
We have twisted lust into something that is, has become a raging monster. I just want to read one quote from you from a guy that is esteemed in our culture. His name's Sigmund Freud. What a wonderful guy. He's a wicked man. One of the most wicked men that have ever lived. Listen to what he said. Man's discovery that sexual love, which is lust, afforded him the strongest experiences of satisfaction and, in fact, provided him with the prototype of all happiness, must have suggested to him that he should continue to seek the satisfaction of happiness in his life along the path of sexual relations and that he should make eroticism the central point of his life. So one guy is going to summarize what he just said. Listen to what he says. If happiness is the desired goal of all human beings, therapeutic, being happy, self-actualization. If happiness is the desired goal of all human beings, then for Freud, the pleasure principle, the quest for pleasure focused on sexual gratification is central to what it means to be a self. The purpose of life and the content of the good life is personal sexual fulfillment. This principle also reorientates thinking or warps it reorientates is a nice way of saying perverts it, on the purpose of sex. The purpose of procreation is subordinated to the purpose of personal pleasure. Again, it's all about the therapeutic. I want to feel good. And so because of this, actually Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it like this. He says, lust is unbelief. When Adam wanted that apple, he took it because he believed God was holding something good back from him. Lust is believing that God is holding some pleasure back from me that I deserve. And what has happened, it's turned it on its head. And now we identify human beings by the sexual act. It's sick. That's how we identify people now. Because if life's about pleasure, that's the most pleasurable thing. And the reason it's the most pleasurable thing is because it creates human beings. It's an incredible gift God gave us. We need to protect it, but now we just think it's for our pleasure. We break the bounds, and then what has happened is sin now destroys. That's the purpose of it. We sin because the thief wants to kill, steal, take something away from us, and destroy. And lust destroys. I'll show you four ways lust destroys. And this is why it's so bad. I think we think God is mean, kind of like Adam thought. He's holding that apple back. No, 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 no. He wants your best. So he sets up systems, designs that are for our best. But we don't believe him because lust is unbelief. And then what happens when we indulge, it starts destroying. The first thing it destroys is his design of covenant legacy. He says to Abraham... I'm going to bless your children to a thousand generations. That it's a promise between a man and a woman and their children are involved. But when you get rid of the covenant and you see relationships just for pleasure, there is no blessing that's passed on. It destroys design. So LGBTQ is wrong for the fact that it's outside of God's intended design to bless people for thousands of generations. It's not just because God's mean. He doesn't want you to have fun. It's because he designed this world, so I think he knows what he's talking about. 
Second thing is the way it destroys is it, it destroys your soul. It destroys your soul. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says, Sexual sin affects both your spirit and your body. And the problem with sin is you eat it, and the next time you eat it, it's not as pleasurable, so you need to eat it or be more perverse in it. And what happens to your soul is your soul starts darkening, and there is no bottom to the sickness of this kind of pleasure hunt. And if you don't believe me, see, what we have done, here's what we've done in our culture. We sensationalize everything, or we sentimentalize. So even if, I, if we talk about sexual proclivities, we say it in such nice, glowing terms. Let people just express the way they want. Let them be who they want to be. Let them just be free to who they believe they are on the inside. And then they come into your counseling office, and their families are destroyed because they can't stop their sexual perversions. It doesn't get better. It just gets worse if, it doesn't, if God's mercy doesn't stop it. If you don't believe me, do you know porn is a billion-dollar industry? It's killing people. Child pornography is disgusting. But what we've done is we've said, see, everybody can just be who they want to be. No, no, you, your sin, it, it goes dark. It's like one person said, the thing about a human being, we have the potential to be angels. We also have the potential to be devils. Third thing way it destroys is this, is it destroys faith. When you go against God's law, which is written in your heart, you feel guilt and shame, and it will chase you the rest of your life. You can try to bury it. The way people buried is they get pretty angry at God. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 8, he says, go and take the land. Go and take the land. It's yours. Go and take the land. It's Deuteronomy 1, 8. But they decide not to because they're scared. They don't listen to God. They have unbelief in God. And then 26, he says, you didn't want to go. And then because you didn't go and you didn't take the land, you start grumbling in your tents. And then you start grumbling in your tents and you start saying, God hates us. No, this is all your fault. And this is what has happened sexually. People don't listen to his, his design. And then what happens when they, when they break his design, they get mad at him because they're fighting this guilt that's down deep. And so they want you to celebrate with them so you can justify it with them. So we're in a really weird culture right now. And then what ultimately happens, and this is what's happening, is it destroys innocence. Evil becomes good, and good becomes evil. So good, wanting to protect your children in a covenant relationship now, is called restrictive and judgmental and condemning. And that's where it's going. That's where we'll become. Where good, or evil, which is you can be whoever you want to be, do whatever you want to do, is now good because it's freedom. It's who I really am. But here's the thing. If you read Scripture, Romans 1 Chapter 1 verses starts at about verses 28. says something scary. And see, people don't believe Scripture anymore, but here's what it says. God gives, God shows them, they don't want him, so he gives them over to indulge, be creative in their sin, and then it says they become inventors of evil. 
And that word, inventors of evil, mean that, they, you know, that it's kind of like how many times can you draw a straight line? One. How many times can you draw a twisted line? It un it's unending. How many times can you do evil acts? It doesn't end. And we have this thing called social media, which is where people invent all over the place. Tell me, do you think a seven-year-old boy would be a drag queen on his own? He watches people who are inventing. We live in a sad place, and this is why God didn't want us to lust. And if you don't believe me that God doesn't like this, like you might say, you're, you're just taking it too serious. All right, let's see what Jesus says in verse uh, 28. Does Jesus say this or not? If, um, verse 28, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is what he does not want to happen. If in this, verse 29 is linked to 28, if your right eye causes you to sin, which means to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. Oh, see, you pastors are all about purity culture. Jesus said this. Then it says, it is, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body. So is Jesus serious? Cut it off? What does he mean by this? Well, first of all, it's called hyperbolic language. It's used to show you the seriousness of the issue, to wake you up. It's exaggerated language to say, Jesus is got a message you need to hear. It's sort of like hyperbolic language. If I pick something up and I say, man, this weighs a ton, I couldn't pick it up if it weighs a ton, but you understand what I mean. So when Jesus says, pluck out your eye, cut off your hand. So if I cut off my right eye and my right hand, I still have my left eye and my left hand, so I can still lust. So what Jesus is saying, this eye, right eye and right hand, to the person at the time was their most important gift, tool, given to them by God. And God says, better to lose that than to rot in hell. Here's how Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it, and I love this, because this will make more sense. What Jesus is getting at is he's saying the gains of lust are trivial compared with the loss it brings. You forfeit your body eternally for the momentary pleasure of the eye or hand. In other words, nothing is worth missing heaven for. And people do that because their pleasure is more important than eternity and to be acceptable before God. In fact, some people are, they would, they would rather watch their kids play sports and never teach them about God than they would getting them into heaven. A baseball bat and a basketball is sometimes more important than the golden street. Because it's about therapeutic. It makes me feel good today. It's not about making people holy. So you might say, you're just, you're, because you're a pastor, you're supposed to say this. You take it too serious. Why are you so serious about this? Because Jesus was. Sin killed him. He died. So you could live with him forever. 
Some of you might be saying, but you know how hard this is? Because I've got porn problems. I've got lust problems. I've got temptation problems. That's where Matthew 19, 26 comes in. We need to keep remembering this. And this is what I believe is the point. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. We need to run to him and ask him to help. I could talk about this a long time, but the intent is understood. It's not necessarily action, though the action itself is sinful. It's the desire. Because that's where it starts. If you have a problem with it, come see some of the people at our church, some of the pastors. We have programs, we've got groups that meet. We have a lot of help on both sides. It's funny because people think this is just a male problem. Do you know porn for women is unbelievable these days? But women behave a little bit differently. They get into affairs. Because what they do is they'll see a guy at work and they'll start talking to him and say, man, my husband's so much more reasonable than, or this guy I'm dating so much more reasonable than my husband. you know why? Because he doesn't have to share a budget with you or discipline kids with you or deal with sickness with you. You don't have to deal with any of that. It's crazy. It's delusion. If you have problems with this, Jesus is what's called the church. We can help. But all I'm saying is, I think Jesus was serious when he said, you know, the gains of lust are trivial compared with the loss it brings.